Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. In today's feature report, Indiana environmental reporter Enrique Sands covers the details of the Supreme Court's recent ruling on the Clean Air Act. But first, today's environmental stories. The Indiana Department of Health has adopted an emergency ruling increasing what it considers elevated levels of the neurotoxin lead in children's blood and has initiated family education and case management for children with lead in their blood. The Department of Health says the emergency rule is the initial step toward a permanent change. Both the Indiana Department and U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention assert that there's no safe lead level in children. The CDC used to define an elevated lead level as 5 micrograms per deciliter, while Indiana's definition was double that. Last October, the CDC lowered the threshold to 3.5 micrograms per deciliter, and effective July 1st, Indiana is adhering to that number. Increased support for families with children who have high blood levels of lead comes with a new threshold. The Health Department will provide education for families with children who have lead levels between 3.5 and 4.9 micrograms and will urge testing of siblings living in the same household. The department will offer case management when children have levels above 5 micrograms. This will include a home visit by a caseworker and a licensed assessor who will perform a home risk assessment. Lead exposure harms the brain and the nervous system, especially in children. In Indiana, lead-based paint and dust in homes built before 1978 are the main routes to exposure. WTIU reports that Indiana households have more energy insecurity than all but seven states in the country. That's according to a survey released this week by the Energy Information Administration. Nearly 30% of Hoosier households surveyed in 2020 said they forgo food or medicine to pay their utility bills, have received a disconnection notice, or keep their houses at unhealthy temperatures to save money. During the past two years of the pandemic, the state required several Indiana utilities to keep detailed records of how many people are behind on their bills and have had their power shut off. Given the inflation that we've seen since the first of the year, and given the very high energy costs of the high wholesale natural gas prices, and how they are flowing through to customers on their natural gas and electric bills, we think it's appropriate to have the data collected again, end quote, said Anthony Swinger, 
spokesperson for the Indiana Office of Utility Consumer Counselor. Several Indiana electric and gas utilities have asked the state permission to make big temporary rate increases to adjust for the higher cost of fuel due to market disruptions from the war in Ukraine and the pandemic. Duke Energy's request for a 16% rate hike has already been approved. If Indiana had made greater investment in wind and solar, this problem might have been avoided. In Iowa, for example, which has 58% renewables, the electric rate is 11.73 cents per kilowatt hour. Indiana currently has 9% renewable power at 14 cents per kilowatt hour. Last year, the world pumped 36.3 metric gigatons of carbon pollution from fossil fuels into the atmosphere, a record high. This pollution was largely driven by a surge in energy production in China, which produced about a third of the world's total energy-related carbon pollution. Last year, China's electricity demand jumped by 10%, a leap equivalent to adding Africa's total power consumption, according to the International Energy Association. But the United States was responsible for roughly 13%, and emissions from the U.S., the European Union, and Japan combined for about a quarter of the world global total. Coal is in the middle of a comeback that's probably temporary, but who really knows? Before the pandemic, the common wisdom was that coal was on its way out as a major electricity source, especially in Northern America and Europe. It simply could not compete with cheap renewables and natural gas. And because it's so much worse for the climate than either, power generators have little reason to allow it. With natural gas prices spiking and with countries recalculating what kind of energy they can get hold of in a geopolitical crisis, coal has become more important. Germany, which is in the middle of phasing out its coal plants before the war in Ukraine, has ordered coal plants to produce more electricity in the short term. Even in the United States, where natural gas hasn't spiked as much, coal demand has been up since late last year, although coal plants are still closing. In the West, the coal industry is not acting as if the boom will be permanent. You don't see coal mining companies expanding their operations or opening new mines. Like oil companies, they're mostly returning the cash to their investors. In Indiana, the legislature has moved to protect coal and to harm rooftop solar. Now utilities pay those solar houses connected to the grid about three to four cents per gigawatt instead of 14 cents paid previously. New rooftop solar installations are not eligible for net metering. The consequences of these changes mean it is now impossible to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. The Indy Star reports that homeowners in southern Indiana will see their electric bills rise again in the coming years after the state approved utilities request to build a new power plant, one the utility says will rarely operate. The Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission on Tuesday gave the thumbs up to Centerpoint Energy to build two new natural gas combustion turbines in place of one of its former coal plants. The approval also means that the utility 
and asks to increase rates so customers are left covering the cost. Thus, Indiana continues with fossil fuels forever policy. Consumer advocates that pushed for denial of the project said they're disheartened and frustrated by the IURC's blessing. Quote, this outrageous decision approves unneeded and expensive fossil gas power plants that will significantly raise the cost of electricity for center point customers, end quote, said Kerwin Wilson, executive director of Citizens Action Coalition. The project is estimated to cost $334 million in total, according to the IURC release. That said, in a statement released yesterday, Texas-based CenterPoint claimed customers will see bill increases of only less than $10 per month. They said the original $23 figure was based on the cost of the turbines on their own and did not take into account savings from securitization and other bill reduction. Securitization is the process of pooling certain assets so they can be repackaged and sold to free up some capital. Apparently, the possibility of battery storage was not considered. Solar and wind plus battery storage could have been an alternative approach to handling peak demand. It would have been much cheaper. Such combinations are used in several countries. U.S. Representative Mark M. O'Day, Republican of Nevada, has introduced an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act that would destroy 750,000 acres of public land in Nevada's Green Basin by giving it away to the U.S. Navy for bombing, mining, and industrialization. The land giveaway would grant the Navy full or partial control of the land, including over 300,000 acres to drop bombs. The amendment would let mining companies take over the public lands where they mine, exempting their destructive activities from environmental protection. This would force the government to approve the expropriation of 16.5 billion gallons of water per year, draining the remote Dixie Valley and possibly driving a rare toad to extinction. It would sell off hundreds of thousands of acres of people's land to developers for sprawl and industrial uses. Further, it would harm a vital stopover for migratory birds, the Stillwater National Wildlife Refuge. The area is rich in biodiversity. The land grab would sacrifice a wide variety of wildlife, including bighorn sheep, pronghorns, bald and golden eagles, and greater sage-grouse. Environmentalists not only condemn this amendment for what it enables, they also point out that it's a threat to the integrity of our other public lands because it sets a terrible precedent. To make major cuts in greenhouse gas emissions, people need to quit eating meat and dairy. In addition to lowering emissions, in fact, plant-based alternatives to meat cause far larger cuts than other environmentally friendly efforts, according to the Boston Consulting Group, one of the world's largest consultancy companies. The company found that for every dollar invested, improving and increasing production of plant-based proteins reduced emissions by a factor of three, as opposed to green cement technology by a factor of 
seven as compared to green buildings and by a factor of 11 as compared to zero emissions cars. Plant-based proteins emit far less greenhouse gas than do meat and dairy. For example, beef releases six to 30 times more emissions than tofu. Said Malte Clausen, a Boston Consulting Group representative, quote, widespread adoption of alternative proteins can play a critical role tackling climate change. You are getting more impact from your investment in alternative programs than in any other section of the economy, end quote. Currently, meat and dairy production uses 83% of the world's farmland and results in 60% of greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural sector. Changing to a plant-based diet means less destruction of forests for grazing animals and growing fodder and lower emissions of the potent greenhouse gas methane which cattle and sheep produce. A company called Fortress Energy wants to build a new floating liquefied natural gas, or LNG, terminal off the coast of Grand Isle, Louisiana. The Federal Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement has deemed the project incomplete, unstable, and hazardous. Grand Isle is a vulnerable barrier island that was ground zero for climate crisis supercharged Hurricane Ida. Louisiana is losing its coastal lands and wetlands at an alarming rate because of sea level rise and subsidence. Permitting this floating LNG project would contribute to the greenhouse gas emissions that fuel the climate crisis and rising sea levels. The loss of wetlands in Jefferson Parish and surrounding parishes in Louisiana would impact fishers, shrimpers, and oyster fishers who depend on the wetlands and clean water for their livelihoods. A proposed export terminal for fracked gas would lock Gulf Coast communities into more fossil fuel emissions. New fortresses' infrastructure could potentially explode during hurricanes, which are common in the Gulf. It's up to the U.S. Department of Energy to decide the fate of this project. It would increase gas and coal industry profits at the expense of the climate, Gulf ecosystems, and frontline communities that have long served as sacrifice zones for the fossil fuel industry. Currently, the Biden administration is holding a brief public comment period to solicit opinions from the public at large and everyone who will be affected directly by this project. As we are acutely aware, the Supreme Court has restricted the ability of the EPA to fight the climate crisis. In a 6-3 to three ruling, the nation's highest court ruled that the Clean Air Agency does not empower the EPA to limit greenhouse gas emissions from power plants without prior congressional approval. Yet the decision comes on the heels of a global sweep of early heat waves that have made the necessity of climate action even more apparent. Quote, Whatever else the court may know about, it does not have a clue about how to address climate change, end quote. Justice Alana Kagan said in a scathing dissent, quote, let's say the obvious. The stakes here are high, yet the court today prevents congressionally authorized agency action to curb power plants, carbon dioxide emissions. The court appoints itself, instead of Congress or the expert agency the decision-maker on climate policy. I cannot think of many things more frightening, end quote. 
What are some likely consequences of this decision? After weakening environmental standards during the Trump years, there was hope of progress during the Biden presidency. The U.S. rejoined the Paris Agreement and started enforcing air pollution regulations from coal-fired utilities. Goals were established for 2030 and 2050 to reach zero carbon emissions. Now those goals cannot be met. The Republicans have a stranglehold on most state legislatures stop any proposals put forward at the national level. This means profit and exploitation will continue to be the top priorities. Since the fossil fuel interests will continue to wield power, we should expect a 3 degrees Celsius increase in global temperatures by 2050 and a total rise of 4 to 7 degrees Celsius from the pre-industrial era to 2100. We should expect a sea level rise of 1 to 2 feet by 2050 and 4 to 10 feet by 2100. We should expect a worsening of drought in the West and some human migration out of Arizona. It may be necessary to define a Category 6 level of hurricanes. There are many other effects, but the point is there are negative consequences that are expected from the right-wing extremists taking control of environmental issues. The European Union has proposed a new law that would cut pesticide use in half by 2030 and completely ban the use of these chemicals near schools, playgrounds, and hospitals. The proposal is part of a larger set of goals to reverse biodiversity loss and restore 20% of land and seas by the end of the decade. We need to reduce the use of chemical pesticides to protect our soil air, and food, and ultimately the health of our citizens, said Stella Kyriakides, Commissioner for Health and Food Safety, as reported by The Guardian. Quote, this is not about banning pesticides. This is about making them a last resort measure, end quote. The plan would take about one year to become official legislation and would be the first law regarding biodiversity since 1992. Since it is law, members of the EU will have an allotted time of two years to create plans to meet legislation targets that they must meet or face legal action. Quote, it's a huge milestone. It really has the potential to turn around our relationship with nature, end quote, said Ariel Bruner from BirdLife Europe. Ultimately, the difference between effective policy and just propaganda is whether you can take the people to court for failing to do what they have to do. In today's feature report, Indiana environmental reporter Enrique Sands covers details of the Supreme Court's recent ruling on the Clean Air Act. In 2021, the U.S. Supreme Court made what was, to some, the baffling choice to take up a case reviewing a Trump air emissions rule that was thrown out on the final full day of the Trump administration. The Affordable Clean Energy Rule, or the ACE Rule, proposed by the Trump administration in 2018, allowed states to take charge of the amount of greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. It gave them two years to think of a plan, but allowed them to make pretty minimal emissions limits. The rule also completely repealed an Obama-era plan that would have tightly regulated greenhouse gas emissions. 
The American Lung Association and the American Public Health Association filed a lawsuit to challenge the ACE rule and the Obama rule repeal, and the rule was vacated or thrown out by a federal court on the final full day of the Trump administration. The Biden administration accepted the death of the ACE rule and asked the court to prevent the implementation of the Clean Power Plan. The administration said it planned to make its own rule. But despite those actions, in October 2021, the Supreme Court took up a lawsuit filed by the Republican attorneys general of 19 fossil fuel-dependent states, including Indiana. And on June 30th, the court limited the power of the US EPA to directly regulate greenhouse gas emissions and provided an opening for industries to chip away at the federal government's power to regulate toxic air pollution. The court ruled that the EPA cannot directly regulate greenhouse gas emissions, the gases that trap heat in the atmosphere and cause life-altering climate changes, on an industry-wide basis because Congress did not specifically empower it to do so when it wrote the legislation that empowered the EPA to regulate air pollution, the Clean Air Act. Chief Justice John Roberts in the court's majority opinion said, quote, "...capping carbon dioxide emissions at a level that will force a nationwide transition away from the use of coal to generate electricity may be a sensible solution to the crisis of the day, but it is not plausible that Congress gave EPA the authority to adopt on its own such a regulatory scheme in Section 111D. A decision of such magnitude and consequence rests with Congress itself or an agency acting pursuant to a clear delegation from that representative body." The EPA was established in 1970 after several air and water pollution events like Ohio's Cuyahoga River repeatedly catching fire due to its high chemical content pushed Republican President Richard Nixon to call for the federal government to act on improving environmental quality for economic reasons. The EPA's first administrator was former Indiana Representative William Ruckelshaus. Congress gave the EPA authority over air pollution through the Clean Air Act, which, along with subsequent amendments, specifically allows the agency to govern how much ozone, carbon monoxide, particulate matter, lead, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxide, and other air pollution is emitted. In 2006, the court took up a case called Massachusetts v. EPA, where it ruled that under the language of the Clean Air Act, the EPA had the authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions as air pollutants. Even with the blessing of the court, lawmakers never amended the Clean Air Act to specifically state that the EPA could regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Fast forward to last month, and the omission allowed the court's current lineup to rule that the agency did not have the power to make sweeping, industry-wide and potentially coal industry-killing regulations without a specific mandate from Congress to do so. That is, unless there's a law that specifically says you can, you can't. Environmental Law and Policy Center Executive Director Howard Lerner said the court's ruling did not overrule Massachusetts versus EPA, but basically restricts EPA actions on greenhouse gas emissions to individual facilities. The court says agencies have only those powers given to them by Congress, and we presume Congress didn't intend to shift the authority for making major policy decisions to the agency, but it wanted to make those decisions itself. And the court criticizes the EPA for using Section 111D of the Clean Air Act as empowering it to, in the words of the court, substantially restructure the American energy market. What the court concludes is that EPA can't adopt this significant rule going beyond the fence line of a power plant. About 25% of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions come from the electricity production sector due to the fact that about 60% of all electricity produced in the country comes from burning fossil fuels like coal and natural gas. That is especially true in Indiana, where about 53% of the electricity produced in state is made by burning coal, 31% is made by burning natural gas, and 16% is produced through renewable energy sources like wind or solar. 
Fossil fuel combustion releases toxic pollutants and greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane, which trap heat in the atmosphere. Since the middle part of the 20th century, humans have accelerated the rate of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, changing the Earth's climate in different ways. In Indiana, climate change has made the state hotter and wetter overall. For Eco Report, I'm Patrick Callanan. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we are all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internship. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Spring Mill State Park is hosting a full buck moon hike on Friday, July 15th from 10 to 11.30 p.m. Meet Anthony at the Donaldson Cave parking lot for an adventurous hike under the full buck moon. Learn all about full moon lore and history. This will be a rugged two-mile hike. Brown County State Park is hosting their annual Snake Fest on Saturday, July 16th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. View a variety of snake species, both native and non-native. Learn about the habits of these amazing creatures. See a timber rattlesnake feeding and pet some non-venomous snakes. Bring your own kayak to a kayak outing at Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Saturday, July 16th from 3 to 6 p.m. The Goose Pond Naturalist will lead a guided tour of the wetland, pointing out various species of plants and animals. Meet at the Thousand Islands North parking lot. Bring everything you will need, including life jackets. To register, go to the Goose Pond website. A Fossils at the Falls hike at McCormick's Creek State Park is scheduled for Friday, July 22nd at noon. Learn about the ancient origins of the park's landscape through a closer look at features unveiled by the forces of water. The hike begins at the Canyon Inn entrance. Learn all about our marvelous mushrooms on a hike at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, July 24th from 11 a.m. to noon. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center front patio. On the hike on Trail 2, you'll learn about mushrooms and why they are important. Find out which ones are poisonous and which ones are good to eat. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Enrique Sands gave us the Indiana Environmental Report. Juliana Daly assembled the script, and Linda Green, Don Guerra, and Patrick Callanan edited it. 
Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and audio edited today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan, and this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.